Hello and welcome to this message from the river. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. So today, I'm going to do more of a Bible teaching today than, uh, than a, a, a normal message like I would normally preach. But uh, I, want to, I want to teach you some things just about uh, the, the cross, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, what it all means for you. Because the, the fact is that, that we can understand some concepts and ideas about the Bible and about God, but what we really need to understand is how, what it means for me. How, how does that work in my life? How does that deal with my everyday? And so I want to talk to you about some things that were accomplished for you because of Christ's work at Calvary and uh, what the meaning of it all is. And so that's what I'm going to preach to you this morning. Would you help me pray? Father, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your power. Lord, we thank you that you have placed in this building receptive hearts ready to receive your word and Lord, allow it to produce something in their lives that transforms not only them, but the people around them, God. That it's not just something that you're doing in me, but God it's something that you're doing in me, for others and through me, for others, God. I thank you that the power of the cross is at work in my life. I thank you that the power of the resurrection is at work in my life today, God. That I am not without hope. That I am not without the strength of God working in my life. But because of what you did at Calvary's cross, I have the victory this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. I want to take Colossians uh, chapter 1. And I'm going to be reading through verses 9 through 23 today. And I'm going to take Paul's uh, writing to the church at Colossae and begin to kind of help you understand uh, from his writing some things that happened as a result of Jesus' work at Calvary's cross. And so let's go, let's, we're going to kind of work from the back forward uh, because everything is kind of predicated on the previous statements that Paul is making here in Colossians. And so let's start with verse 18. And uh, read through verse 20 as we begin today. And he says, And he, speaking of Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. The first thing that I want us to take away from the text this morning is that Christ made it possible for us to be reconciled. Christ made it possible for us to be reconciled. Verse 20 says, And by Him, speaking of Jesus again, to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Let me explain to you that since the fall of man, since Adam decided to fail and to disobey God in the garden when he had a perfect setup, 
When he had everything in perfect communion with God, he had a relationship that was unbroken and unparalleled, anything better than anything we can imagine today. He had perfect communion and perfect relationship with God himself. It says that God would walk by in the cool of the day and he would talk to Adam and he would communicate with him. But because of Adam's willing sin, his willingness to sin, that that communion and that relationship was broken. And so since the fall of man, since Adam blew it, God has been working diligently throughout the history of mankind to reconcile humanity back to Himself. God has never wanted once for you to be in a broken relationship away from Him. He has always wanted you to have a relationship that rests upon who He is, His attributes, His character, and to walk with Him through this life. Amen. It's not God's will. It's not God's desire for you that you exist outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to hear that today. And so what God's been doing throughout history is He has been working to reconcile humanity back to Himself. And that's what verse 20 is talking about. You see what happened in the fall is that we forfeited our rights as sons and daughters of the Creator. We threw away our inheritance. We threw away our dominion. We threw away our authority. We threw away our power. And we gave it up to the enemy of our souls. We decided that we would rather choose to sin and do what we wanted and forfeit all of our rights as sons and daughters of the king rather than to walk in perfect communion with him. And that's what happened. We forfeited the benefits of being God's children. But because of Jesus Christ... And His work of reconciliation, He has begun to re-equip us with our rights, to re-establish us in our place. Redemption and reconciliation could not be facilitated by humanity. No matter how hard they tried to live right and to do right, no matter how much we we struggle to, to obey the law that was given to Moses, no matter how hard we were to being good and doing right and, to, and to, to live a life that was pleasing to God, we failed to live to the standard of God's perfection. And we needed someone to do it for us. We needed someone to come to our rescue. It required God Himself, who is perfect and blameless, to fulfill His own righteous demands. Now you think about that and you've heard that preached, but I want you to think about it deeper today. That, 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 that reality that God could not, uh, there's no human that could fulfill God's righteous demands. So God himself came down and began to do that for us. It speaks of his great love for us. That he loves you enough. And he loves you so much that he would come from heaven and he would do what you are unable to do. What I am unable to do. It was not a bill that he owed. It was not a price that was required of him. But it was a price that could only be paid by him. And he loved us enough that he did it not because he needed to for himself, but because he needed to do it for us. And he loved us enough to come down and make that sacrifice for you and I. It's his great love for you and me. His great love. I believe that it also speaks of his great honor. What do you mean, Pastor? It means that he paid the price that was set 
by his own self. Think about this for a moment. If I own something and I see its value, I have the right to bring the value down and to cheapen it up because it's mine. But God had such honor and had placed such high value on his requirements that he would not cheapen himself. He would not sacrifice just partially, but he was willing to pay the price that he had originally set and it required he himself paying that price. You know what that means? That means he loves you that much that he would sacrifice and he wouldn't skimp in the process. He wouldn't cut corners in the process. But the value of his justice the value of his righteousness, the demand of perfection was resting upon humanity and he knew we couldn't pay it, but he came and paid it himself. It speaks of his honor. It speaks of his greatness. It speaks of his willingness to do whatever it takes. The cause of the righteous requirements could only be filled by God himself. Paul takes great care in expressing that Jesus himself was God in, God in verses 15 through 17. Let's read it together. It says, He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things Consist. Jesus is God himself. And he came to this earth to do what we couldn't do. And that is to pay the debt of every man's sin. We owe him our lives, church. We owe him our, our faithfulness and our commitment to him. Let's go on and read verse 19. It says, For it pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness should dwell. The word fullness, when you study it out, it means that Jesus is the totality of God. He is the sum total, the essence, uh, the, uh, the manifestation, if you will, of everything that God represents. He is all that God is and represents the entirety of the person of God. Jesus was God 100%. Now I say that to you today because that's a critical foundational piece of our doctrine and our beliefs. That Jesus was 100% God. And we have a lot of people in the world today that are preaching something opposite of that. That are teaching things that are opposite of that. But I've come to tell you today that Jesus was 100% God. That he came in the flesh and clothed himself in humanity. So that he could pay the price for us and our redemption. He is 100% God. In John's gospel, Jesus is referred to as the Word. It says, John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, with God, and the Word was God. The Word, that, that word, Word, is logos. It means the complete divine expression of God. Again, it, it correlates with what I just spoke to you concerning the word fullness, that He is the representative of all that God is. Jesus is 100% God and He is 100% man. He represents the desire of God for humanity and He represents humanity's ability to execute it. Now I'm going to say it to you again because I want you to hear me. 
Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. He represents the desire of God for humanity. That is to be redeemed, to be reconciled. And he, he also represents humanity's ability to accomplish that. In other words, Jesus was the bridge between God's expectation and humanity's need. And he shows in the representation of both God and man that there is a way for us to be reconciled back to God. We think that if God doesn't step into our situation and change everything, that it's just not going to happen. And the truth is you need God to work in your life. But God needs you to work in your life too. God needs you to show up in the city. He expects you to walk in the authority, to walk in the power, to walk in the, the presence of Jesus Christ. He expects you to take what He has given you and to use it in your life. Many of us have the situations that we have because not because God's not working in us, but because we have never stepped up and taken the authority and released the power of God in the situation. He's 100% God and he's 100% man. What does that say to me? That means that God doesn't do anything in this earth that he doesn't use me in partnership with him to accomplish. He's not going to work in your life if you're not going to work in your life. Because he has limited himself to working through the body, the church, to accomplish his mission on this earth. What does that mean, Pastor? That means, listen... We have to be in tune with God. We have to listen to what God says. And then we have to act in faith, knowing that when we take a step, God takes a step with us. But he's not going to do everything for us. He expects us to walk along with him in the process. Colossians 1.18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. That word preeminence, we talked about this Wednesday night. And if you're missing our Wednesday nights, you're missing out on, on good teaching that will help you in your life. And I just encourage you to be a part of that at 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights. But this word preeminence, uh, in the Greek, it's, it's where we get our word prototype. So in other words, God, Jesus was the prototype for what Christians would be. He was the example. He was the first of what was to come. He was the beginning of a new race of people, if you will. And he becomes the mold, if you will, in which we will all be poured. If we want to align ourselves with God's will, to find reconciliation with God... It requires us being poured into the mold of Jesus Christ. That's why in Romans it says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, to be molded, if you will, to the image of his Son. The Bible talks about us being placed on the potter's wheel. And the potter shaping us and molding us and making... He's molding us into being more like Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible talks about him being the way the truth and the life. There is no other way to God. There is no other way to heaven. There is no other way to find forgiveness and redemption and peace in your life except through Jesus Christ. I don't care what the world tells you. I've come to tell you today, according to this word, this holy book of God, there is only one way to heaven and it is through Jesus Christ alone. Amen. Doesn't matter what Oprah says. 
<laughs> it doesn't matter what any of those other people say. The fact is, Jesus is the only way to heaven. And there is a prevalent spirit of confusion and doctrine that is being released in this earth that all roads lead to heaven. And I'm just, I'm just telling you, if you take five minutes to look up any scripture in the Bible, you'll find that that is not the case. That is not the case. It's through Jesus and Him alone. Let's go on and read Colossians 1.13 through... 14 and 21 and 22. It says, He has delivered us. He, speaking of Jesus again, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 21. And you, you, me, who were once alienated and enemies in our minds by wicked works, Yet he has now reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present us holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. The second thing that I want us to get, not only has Christ made it possible for us to be reconciled, but Christ made it possible for us to be free from sin. There is a difference from just being reconciled to God and truly being free from sin. A lot of Christians today are saved, I would say, yes, you're saved and you're going to heaven, but you're still living under the curse of sin in your life. And that's where we have to step up and say, I'm not taking this anymore. I'm not listening to the lies of the enemy anymore. I'm taking authority over my life. I'm taking authority over my situation. And I refuse to live under the under anything less than God's best for me. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. God wants more for you. We talked about this, but through disobedience of Adam, we forfeited our status as sons and daughters of God and became slaves to sin. We we fell under the curse of sin. The cost of becoming slaves to sin was paid only through death. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That death is not just physical death, but it's also spiritual death. What I'm saying to you this morning, and I want you to hear my heart today, because my heart is not to beat up on you. My heart is to see you living in freedom and enjoying life, the life that God has promised us. And I see a lot of people that may be free from spiritual death. In other words, you know that when you die on this earth, you're going to heaven. But we're dead men walking while we're on this earth. And God wants more for you. The inheritance of the kingdom is not just for then. It's also for now. And God wants you to have joy and peace and hope in your life. Not to live from one crisis to another. One troubling moment from to another troubling moment. But to live in some joy and happiness that comes from having a relationship with Him. Amen. Verse 14 says, In whom we have redemption. It's through Jesus and only through Jesus that we are able to move from being under the control of darkness into God's kingdom. It says here in our verse that He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us. He has, he has moved us. He put us on a conveyor belt and moved us from darkness into light. Thank God that I'm not living under a cloud of darkness, but I have been placed into the kingdom of light. Amen. 
the power of darkness, when it controls me and when it dictates uh, the outcome of my life, it just means the enemy is calling the shots for you. He's dictating terms. And I don't want someone whose sole purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy in my life dictating the terms of my existence. But Jesus came to break that power of darkness off of us and He freed us. And because of it, God is working things out in your life and He is working them out for your good. He desires to bless you. Here's the problem that we run into and it's found in verse 21. And this is where we get stuck is it says that you were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Alienated by wicked works. There, there was a wedge, if you will. There was a gap between us and God. And Jesus came and he bridged that gap. But the problem is sometimes even though we understand that and we know that, there's a mental disconnect from us really experiencing that and living that out. And it's hard for me to get it from here to here sometimes. We alienate ourselves in our minds from what God is trying to do and what He has done for us. I can't get over my own thinking to experience the release and the power of God in my everyday life. And so what I'm saying to you is, look, yeah, there's been some things that we have failed at along the way. We've made some mistakes. Everybody in this room has. And everybody in this room is going to continue to make some, some boneheaded mistakes along the way, right? No. I promise you, I'll start calling them out if you don't believe me. We make some boneheaded mistakes on a regular basis. We drop the ball with God all the time. We're not perfect people. We just serve a perfect God. And we're all trying to do the best we can with what we have. But we get alienated in our minds because of the failures of our past and the failures that we have uh, in our present. The struggles that we have on a regular basis. The things we know we're going to mess up in even in the future. He deals with this. He says, look, we were once alienated by an enemy's alienated and enemies in our minds by wicked works. Wicked works does. Listen, I'm not, I'm not minimizing it. Because I will tell you right now that sin does alienate you from God. 100%. And if you know to do right and you're not doing it, you are alienating yourself through your willing disobedience to follow God. Adam didn't make a mistake and accidentally eat the apple. He chose to eat it. We like to paint a picture of him being, you know, this goofy guy that doesn't know what he's doing and he just grabs it. No. He knew exactly what he was doing. And you know exactly what you're doing. I know exactly what I'm doing. And the fact is that we begin to alienate ourselves from God when we choose to walk our own pathway rather than following the directions of God in our lives. And there's a lot of us in the place, myself included, that there's areas of our lives that we know better and we're just saying, I don't want to right now. And as we do that, we, we widen the gap between our relationship with Jesus and ourselves. And we begin to alienate ourselves in the process. Jesus died so that we could be free from all that. He didn't give you His precious blood on the cross 
as a license to continue to sin and hope that you've got a get-out-of-jail-free card. Amen. We were also enemies in our own minds. Things like shame, rejection, depression, guilt, failure. All of these things fortify our position under the power of darkness. But Jesus came and he broke those things through his forgiveness. Verse 21 says, Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. The curse and power of sin is broken. And now you have been restored as sons and daughters of the king. Aren't you glad today that you've been reestablished in the right relationship with God? Colossians 1.9 says, For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. The third thing that I'm going to share with you today is that Christ made it possible for us to do God's will. Christ's work at the cross made it possible for us to do God's will. I'm going to stop there this morning because there's more that I want to share with you that I don't have time to get into today. But next week I'll finish this thought. I'm going to ask Jennifer to come and begin to play this morning. And would you stand with me across this place today? Jesus has reconciled you through his work at Calvary's cross. He has freed you from the power of sin and the curse of sin because of the work he did at Calvary. And so this is what I want to do this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed across this place. If you're here today, the only way that you are going to experience that reconciliation, that redemption, that forgiveness, that freedom from sin is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no other way but through a relationship with Jesus. That's it. That's it. We hope you have enjoyed and been encouraged by this message. We would love for you to join us at the river on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Sunday school and at 10.30 for morning worship. We also provide our midweek service for all ages on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you would like to support the various ministries at the river, please go to our giving tab. We would love for you to visit us at 1110 South Preston Street in Burkburnett, Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us at the river.